Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Premature Millionaire Show. I'm your host, Dahi Dooley, and in today's episode, we're reacting to Graham Stephan's six and a half ways to invest $10,000. I'm breaking down my thoughts on whether or not I think this is cringe advice or something I should try. I'm not a financial advisor, but I have worked in wealth management and currently work in corporate finance. It will be interesting to hear what he has to say. My initial reaction is that the title is a little cringe. Six and a half seems a little too specific, but I'm sure Graham will have some sound advice here. What's up, Graham? It's Guys here. So I recently found out that the average American household has nearly $10,000 saved in their bank account, and that gave me an idea. We should go over the six and a half best ways that you could invest $10,000 right now in a way that's both quick, realistic, and most importantly, profitable. Okay, so first off, Graham states here that the average American has $10,000 saved in their bank account. While he's not wrong here, I found that the average American has just over $40,000 saved. The pandemic really spurred savings amongst savers. People have increased their savings rate since the pandemic started two years ago. Check the description for the source. Based on this data, I believe there could be more investment options based on the increased saved amount. Let's continue. And I'm pretty sure if you watch this video to the very end, you'll find at least one way to maximize your money to get that extra 2% return, if not way, way more. So I guess in a way, just watching this video could be worth an extra $8,100, all for the low cost of just smashing a like button and subscribing for the YouTube algorithm. So that way it pushes the channel to a brand new audience who could also subscribe and hit the like button to push it out to an even bigger audience and the cycle continues. On a side note, leave a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. This works the same way as the like button on YouTube. Also, if you like the content, subscribe or follow this podcast for future episodes. Because after all, $10,000 is a sizable amount of money that can make a significant difference long term if you don't mess this up and it's important to utilize this money properly. For instance, just getting an extra 2% return on your $10,000 could wind up making you an extra $8,100 in profit over the next 30 years. Okay, so here Graham mentions a 2% return. This is probably mentioned because historically, inflation has ranged from 1% to 3%. A 2% return would probably keep your money flat to inflation and not really benefit you in any material way, other than you're suddenly not losing money to inflation anymore. The simplest way to hedge yourself against inflation is by buying Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, or TIPS. These bonds are issued by the U.S. government and are indexed to inflation to protect against inflation meaning the value of the bond rises as inflation increases. First, let's start with one of the most boring, basic, safest, and practical approaches that everyone should be doing if they have $10,000, and that would be starting an emergency fund. Okay, so this is true. $10,000 in an emergency fund could be a huge game changer. It really does help if you have a major expense pop-up. It turns a major problem into a big inconvenience. Just imagine if your transmission goes out, well, now you have the money to repair it. My one complaint with this tip is that it's an emergency fund. It's not really an investment. Just think about it. It's really you just having saved up $10,000 for a rainy day. If you don't have this fund already set up, then I would advise you to use the $10,000 for this. But if you already have savings, like the 40k the average American has saved, this probably is a pointless tip slash suggestion.
Now, for those unaware, as the name would suggest, an emergency fund is simply the cash you have sitting on the sidelines to be used only in the event of an emergency. Ideally, the size of this fund should be equal to three to six months worth of your expenses and kept easily accessible in cash, just in the small chance that you fall on hard times. This was the other thing that I was going to mention, but I wanted to see if Graham was going to get there. $10,000 might not be enough depending on your income or lifestyle. So make sure you try to save up at least six months of your expenses. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. Having this type of three to six month emergency fund means that you're not going to have to rely on credit cards to pay your way through an unexpected event. You're not going to have to sell your stocks or other investments during a time where they may have declined in value, and you won't have to take on any high interest rate debt in the event something were to happen. Though obviously there will be people out there who complain that the money is losing value to inflation. It's not making you anything back in return, and it's just being wasted away. But from my perspective, an emergency fund could actually save you money and act kind of like an insurance policy in the event that poop hits the fan. Just consider that it's a lot better to lose 7% to inflation than lose 15% in the market if you have to sell your investments during a time where everything is down and you can't hold on any longer. Although inflation sucks, it would suck way more to have to put living expenses on a credit card or take out a bad loan just because time suddenly got tough. Overall, this is not an investment tip, but more of a financial necessity. For myself, I've been using Ally Bank for my emergency funds because they pay you a half a percent interest rate and they have an easy to reach customer support team who always picks up the phone in a minute because I'm impatient. But besides them, there's also a ton of great other high yield savings accounts out there. So if you're curious which ones are my favorite, I'll link to them down below in the description. I think I should also include a step one and a half here as well because besides an emergency fund, you could also use this as a savings fund for anything that you wanna buy in the next one to four years. Goals like saving up for a house, car, vacation, or a business business could fit in here. And generally, it's a good idea not to invest the money that you'll know you'll need in the next few years, because there's always a chance that the market goes down, a recession hits, and you won't have enough time to wait for Elon Musk to buy out your favorite tech companies so they finally pump to the moon. That's why holding on to cash isn't always a bad thing. And for peace of mind, an emergency fund or a savings account is absolutely worth it just to know that whatever happens, you'll be okay. Although from there, once you've got your emergency fund and your savings account for that Tesla Roadster you've been we could finally move on to the next option. Graham has another really good tip here. Save your money for a planned large purchase. I would also say that this isn't investment advice. It's general financial literacy. You will not see a financial return on this. Things like cars, engagement rings, house down payments are all good examples of things you might consider large purchases. And Graham is also correct in that you shouldn't invest money that you plan on spending soon. The stock market can turn at a moment's notice and you don't know if your investment will go down. So save the amount that you think you'll need, but once you have it, invest the rest. If you have too much cash, you'll lose to inflation.
The second, another somewhat unexciting but very profitable way to invest $10,000 is by paying down high interest rate debt. See, the thing is, obviously, if you have any debt, whether that be a credit card, auto loan, personal loan, or a mortgage, that debt costs you money. Of course, some debt is good to have. Like if you have a low interest fixed rate mortgage that's tax deductible, it's probably better not to pay it off and invest the money elsewhere instead. But if you have high interest rate debt that's not making you any money, then that debt needs to be paid down as soon as humanly possible. Uh, finally, a real investment tip. This is a good one because it's counterintuitive to what people might think. It is better to pay off debt that has a high interest rate than invest that amount in the market. The market is too risky and there's a good chance you'll lose. Let's see where Graham takes this. Here's my reasoning on this. On average, if you were to invest your money, you would make approximately 6 to 12% every single year before paying tax. On the other hand, if you have high interest rate debt, paying down that debt is like getting a guaranteed return at whatever interest rate you're paying down. For example, paying off a 20% interest rate credit card is like getting an immediate guaranteed 20% return on your money without any risk whatsoever. Not all debt is created equal. And if your interest rate is anything close to what the market might return, then you should just focus on paying it off. Graham is right here. Same math applies with pretty much any loan that you might have. Even if you have a personal loan at 8% interest, why invest in the stock market for the possibility of making 8% before tax when you could pay down the loan and make a guaranteed return right now? My basic rule of thumb is just this. If you're paying above a 5% interest rate on your debt, it's probably best to pay off that loan as soon as possible because you're getting a similar return as to what a good investment would make you after taxes. Consider this like a guaranteed return on your money, a really good use of $10,000. And then once you've done that, we can move on to the next step. Overall, a good investment idea. Once you factor in risks, taxes, timing, it's hardly ever worth it to invest in the market when you have outstanding bad debt. Don't be foolish. True finance is all about managing risks and taking calculated bets. But if your risks are high and returns are low, then you probably shouldn't invest your money there. Third, here's where the magic begins. Start using some of that $10,000 to invest in your retirement accounts. When it comes to this, I'll be going over three different options, and then afterwards, we'll go over the specific investments that you can make within those accounts, depending on how much risk you want to take. Retirement is up next. Let's see where Graham takes it. But first, I think it's no surprise that overall, my favorite retirement account for some of that $10,000 would be a Roth IRA. This is a retirement account that you could invest your money into, and then all the profit you make within that account is completely tax-free after the age of 59 and a half. That means if you invest $1,000 at the age of 20, and then it's worth $21,000 at the age of 65, well, all of that is completely yours to keep without paying any tax. As a Roth IRA is one of the best financial tools ever created. It allows you to benefit from market gains by paying taxes up front. This is solid advice. The caveat I would give here is that whether or not you use a 401k or a Roth IRA should depend on your income. A Roth IRA is when you pay your taxes up front and a 401k is when you pay taxes when you take your money out. A Roth IRA can cost you more in taxes if you plan on living on less than what you make now in retirement. For example, if you currently make $200,000 a year and you plan on living on $50,000 a year in retirement, then you'll be paying more in taxes today than you will with the 401k for your traditional retirement. You should only open a Roth IRA if you're confident that you'll have a higher income in retirement than you do now. I often suggest contributing to both just in case you're very unsure. 
but I'm not a financial advisor, so take that with a grain of salt. Check the description to learn more about IRAs. As of now, you're able to contribute $6,000 a year to a Roth IRA if you're under the age of 50 and $7,000 a year if you're over the age of 50. And if you're eligible to do this, I would always do it. Like right now, like don't put this off, go and do it. Yes, I am talking to you right now because I regret not doing this the moment I turned 18 and it took me a few years to figure out what I was doing. You could literally open up an account with a variety of brokerages right now for free. It's gonna take you less than 15 minutes and this alone could easily save you thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars in the future if you just do it. In this case, a $10,000 investment means that you could max out a Roth IRA for the entire year and have money left over for the next option and that would be a 401k. Simply put, do this. Don't wait. You can open an account for free. You will, however, pay management fees over time. So find an account with lower fees. Let's hear his advice for 401ks. This one is kind of like the opposite of a Roth IRA because it's an account that you invest pre-tax money into and then you're taxed on those profits once you begin taking them out after the age of 59 and a half. Not to mention with this, you're able to contribute up to $19,500 a year. So for example, if you invest $10,000 into a 401k, you'll be taxed as though you've just made $10,000 less. And in a 22% tax bracket, that means you'll save a pretty quick $2,200. That means you now have an extra $2,200 that you can invest today to begin working on your behalf instead of giving it to Uncle Sam. Now, unfortunately, like I mentioned, the catch here is that you do have to pay taxes on this money once you begin taking it out in retirement. So really, from my perspective, it only makes sense in a few scenarios. The first is when your employer offers what's called a 401k match. This is where they will match your contribution dollar for dollar up to a certain amount. Essentially, this means that you double your money immediately with zero risk whatsoever. The rule of thumb when it comes to doing this is that you should always do it no matter what. Like, seriously, don't even put this off. Always contribute to get up to the employer maximum on the contribution and never a penny less. The second, the 401k also makes sense if you're in a high tax bracket now, but you expect to retire later in a lower tax bracket and then you could profit the difference. Now, the variable here is that if you end up making more money in retirement, you could end up paying more taxes later than you would have just paid today. Or if tax rates go higher, then you could also end up paying more. But for most people out there, I would probably recommend contributing enough to get the 401k match from your employer and then putting everything else in to a Roth IRA. I agree. 401k matching is a great perk. It's not as good as a pension, but it offers a cushion in retirement. Graham covers the point I made earlier in that you will pay taxes when you withdraw your money. But if you're only contributing to what your employer is matching in your 401k, then do both if you can. That way you have a perfect hedge for retirement. And again, do this today. Don't waste any more time. But after that, we have one of the best options of them all, and you could use some of that $10,000 towards what's called an HSA, which stands for a health savings account. Now, there are some qualifications that you have to follow, and you could find that out pretty quick with a Google search, but assuming you qualify, you can contribute up to $3,000 completely tax-free into this account. This is specifically used to pay for any out-of-pocket medical expenses that you incur, and if you don't use it one year, you could roll it over to the next, and the next, and the next, and the next. Many people believe this to be one of the best tax 
tax-advantaged accounts in the world because first, you don't pay any tax on the money you contribute to the account, so that's tax-free. And second, you don't pay any tax on the money that you spend on medical expenses, so that's also tax-free. It's basically like you're getting completely tax-free money that you can invest however you want that you won't ever have to pay tax on when you spend it on medical expenses, which all of us are going to have at some point or another. So again, if you qualify, there is no reason why you shouldn't use some of the $10,000 towards this. This is another good tip, but it's a stretch because it depends on the individual needs. Many employers offer solid health benefits and it might not be necessary to contribute to an HSA if you plan on being around your job for a while. It also depends on your medical coverage. You might pay a high premium every month and it might cover just about anything that you could ever need. Again, I think it's a bit of a stretch to say this is one of the best places to put $10,000. This one really depends on the individual circumstances. Now, with that said, let's get back to the video. And fourth, in terms of which investments you could make within a retirement account, of course, we got index funds. Bet you didn't see that one coming. Anyway, an index fund is basically an investment that encompasses the overall market. And by paying one low price, you'll get the benefits and diversification of owning a small amount of everything. Historically, an investment in something like a total stock market index or an S&P 500 index has returned between 8 and 10% annually when you reinvest the dividends. And for most people watching, it's probably the best risk versus reward in terms of how much money you could make. The other advantage is that index funds often have very low or even zero management fees, which means you get to keep even more of your money to reinvest to make even more money to make even more money. And it's been shown that index funds outperform 92 to 95% of professional portfolio managers over a 15-year period. Plus, Index funds are the most boring but financially sound investments a person can make. Everyone knows about them. They are truly the only passive way to make money. You just invest the same amount every month. In a number of years, you'll see your overall investment grow. Let's see what Graham has to say. Doing this is really, really easy. You don't have to spend hours trying to find an undervalued stock to buy. You don't even have to perfectly time your entry point. All you need to do is click a few buttons, buy into a total stock market index on a regular basis, and that's it, you're done. Even for myself, I prefer investing in index funds, and this is what I've been doing since the very beginning. Oh, and for anyone wondering which index funds to buy into, look into what's called the three fund portfolio. That means there's just three different funds to buy into and you're set. It's the total stock market, international stock market, and a very small portion in bonds for the safety. And boom, you're done. $10,000 well spent. This is true. There are so many funds to choose from, and depending on your appetite for risk, you can get yourself a pretty solid return by using index funds. You should look into funds yourself and invest based on your age and, again, appetite for risk. Just make sure you look into funds with low management fees. I personally am a fan of Vanguard. Jack Bogle really reinvented the wheel when Vanguard came around. Index funds aren't perfect, however, because they pose risks to the overall markets if too many people follow their approach. Of course, if index funds are too boring for you and you don't mind taking on a little bit more risk for a little bit more reward, you could use some of that $10,000 towards investing in individual stocks. There, I said it. Stocks are too risky for most people. Most people will underperform relative to the market. I would suggest people looking into ETFs instead of stocks. ETFs are index funds that trade like stocks. They have higher fees associated with them when compared to index funds, but their liquid nature makes up for them. To be clear, 99% of the people should just use index funds. People rarely outperform the market. 
Don't waste your time and more importantly money in thinking you can beat the market. You can really only beat the market if you don't diversify. That means holding all of your investments in one stock. It's high risk but high reward. Just think if you put the $10,000 in Tesla five years ago, you'd probably be able to afford one of their cars by now. This is by far the riskiest from everything that I have discussed, but the payout could be a lot larger. That's because you're placing a significant amount of your money within a few specific companies, and your entire investment is dependent on how well those businesses do. Now, I personally recommend doing this within a Roth IRA or a 401k to avoid paying taxes on those profits, unless you plan on holding on for a while to get those sweet, sweet long-term capital gains tax rates, but that isn't required. You could just as easily open an account with public using the link down below in the description with the code GRAM, get a free stock worth all the way up to $1,000 and reap some pretty good benefits. For instance, Twitter is up 17% this year. Exxon is up 30%. Lockheed Martin is up 25%. So if you pick some winning stocks, you could do tremendously better than investing in an index fund. However, just keep in mind that if you choose incorrectly, you could wind up completely devastating your portfolio, and that's a risk you have to take. Now, of course, as a disclaimer here, the average investor is really, really bad with picking stocks, and they tend to underperform the overall market. This means that most investors will average less than an 8% return long-term, and a good portion of those investors will end up losing money over a period of days, weeks, months, or even years. So if you want to dabble with this, by all means, go for it. Just know your odds, don't go all in, and understand that if you want to be good at this, you really have to put in the time and the research. This is a good tip. I would suggest holding on to anything you buy for the long term. It allows you to beat the short-term tax rate, which can save you thousands of dollars down the line. Don't waste your money by moving money around too quickly. There is so much risk when investing in individual stocks that it's almost not worth it. That's why I suggest ETFs. You can buy them like stocks in sectors that you're interested in. Don't sleep on ETFs. Now, I don't think I could mention stocks without taking it to the next level in terms of risk versus reward, and this would be the grand master of them all, cryptocurrency. I am not a crypto person, so my opinions on this will be biased. It's no surprise that throughout the last decade, both Bitcoin and Ethereum have broken records as some of the best performing assets. They've surpassed just about every other investment in existence, and there's always the potential that further adoption could drive the price even higher. Plus, I'm not naive to the fact that both millennials and Gen Z are buying into cryptocurrencies more than any other generation. So it makes sense that we include them as an option on the list. Cryptocurrencies have amazing returns. No other assets beat them. You can become a millionaire simply by buying an early coin and holding on to it. But my question is always, what are you buying? If you know what you're buying and understand the risks, they can be very beneficial. Now, in terms of being reasonable with $10,000 and not just throwing it all into the next Discord pump and dump, it's important to make a smart investment based on science and facts. And here is what's statistically most likely to make you money. First, based on past performance and my own analysis, the chance of you picking a random non-top 10 cryptocurrency and making money from it is really, really slim. In reality, in the last year, only five had a return above 10,000% out of 200 different options. So if you're randomly investing, you only have a 2.5% chance of picking the right one with the others losing about 90 to 100% of their value. This is true. Don't think you can buy anything and get rich. It's hard to find the next pump and dump. The best strategy is to probably buy the largest three coins by market cap and just hold on to it. If you do this, you'll probably outperform the stock market. There's just more risk with crypto because of its volatile nature.
Second, when factoring in the losers, you would have made more money just investing in Bitcoin and Ethereum, and that's it. And third, studies show that you don't need a huge allocation to something like Bitcoin to see a positive return on your portfolio. In fact, Fidelity found that just a 5% allocation to Bitcoin would have boosted the cumulative return of a traditional portfolio by 65% since 2014, even despite the sell-offs along the way. That's why I've taken the stance that I invest less than 8% of my entire net worth in a 50-50 split between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Ethereum. I'm prepared for it to go to zero, but I'm also very optimistic to see what's going to happen over the next 10 to 20 years. This is a good mentality when investing in crypto. I do, however, dislike back testing data. Hindsight is always 2020. There is no way in 2014 that you would have thought that you should put 5% of your portfolio in Bitcoin. It was too risky. So those are my best options to invest $10,000 in a way that's easy, profitable, and realistic. It certainly depends on your risk tolerance, how much work you want to put into this, and the time frame for investing. But between those six and a half options, you'll be well on your way to investing that $10,000 to make a lot more money in the future. So overall, Graham had some solid ways to invest your money. I think the title of the video was clickbait because none of his tips were really new. He didn't really say anything that a two-second Google search wouldn't tell you. I'd also argue that he didn't give any bad advice here. The first one and a half ways weren't really investment ideas. They were really just open a savings account. The rest were conventional finance tips that already existed on the internet. Overall, I'd give his advice 5 out of 10 because there wasn't anything bad, but I don't think the average viewer really learned anything new here. Anyway, what do you think? Was this video cringe? Did Graham hit the mark? Let me know your thoughts in the Q&A section below. Also, feel free to complete the poll as well. Lastly, if you like this podcast and want to hear more, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating on Spotify, and subscribe slash follow for me. You can also find me on LinkedIn from the link in the description. Thanks for